Thank you. Um, thank you very much, uh, all you guys in here as well. Um, hello to you at home. It's great to, great to be with you this morning. Uh, I'm particularly enjoying the fact they've just moved the stage out into the middle of the badminton court. Um, so echoes of the Norman Centre uh, coming through for us as well here. It is really good to be with you. I think I can hear my voice somewhere over there, so that's a bit... Um, what, what's going on? We're going to be picking up our preaching series where we left off last week. Um, if you are um, tuning in for the first time, it's great to have you with us, as we've said. We're working through the book of Joshua at the moment, um, looking at a series called Courageous Faith. Uh, and we've reached a stage where the people of Israel are getting ready for a change of focus. Uh, in the first five chapters of the book of Joshua, we've been looking at how they have entered the land. And next week, as we turn to chapter 6, we'll begin to follow them as they take the land. They're about to move from a phase of preparation to a time of action. It's the moment in the book where they stop getting ready and they begin getting going. It feels a lot like that for us in the UK at the moment, doesn't it? Um, Moving out of lockdown into freedom from restrictions. I think I can go further than that. Um, as Andy's just shared, you know, Mark Cross, uh, um, we're looking at how we, how we do things moving forward. Here at, here at City Centre, just even in the hall today, there are more people in the hall than there have been uh, on any other Sunday that I've been in here. Uh, we're looking at how we can move forward. We're getting ready for a change of focus. The word change, though, can be hugely divisive. There are are some for whom change is a thoroughly welcome event. They look forward to it. Brilliant. We're going to do something different. And there are others for whom the word change, well, it can be petrifying. You know, we've just, um, at work, we've just gone through a change in desks. People have had to move from where they usually sit to somewhere else. Uh, And some have been absolutely fine with it, picking up their stuff. Over they go to... Uh, a new bit of the office. Others, though, oh, that's not my desk. Oh, where do I sit? Where do I go? Change um, is something they want to avoid. And I guess all of us sit somewhere along that spectrum, don't we? But wherever we sit, the reality is, in life, change happens. Life moves from phases of preparation to times of action. We've been asking uh, the question over over the recent Sundays, what does it mean to have courageous faith? And today we're going to bring a bit of a change to that, and we're going to ask, what does it mean to handle change with courageous faith? So I'd I'd like to invite you to turn or swipe your way to Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 5. As I say, we're going to pick up where we left off last time at verse 10 and we're going to read through to the end of the chapter. Joshua, 10, uh, Joshua 5, verse 10, goes like this. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, in the evening, on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel. 
but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. While Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. The plan for the next 15 minutes or so is to work our way through these five verses a bit at a time. And the big idea we're going to unpack is this. We handle change with courageous faith by remembering what God has done, recognizing what God is doing, and responding to who he is. If you're a note taker, you might want to write that down. So I'm going to say it again for you. We handle change with courageous faith by remembering what God has done, by recognizing what God is doing and responding to who he is. Remember, recognize, respond. Let's get stuck in, shall we? Father, I just I want to ask you to help me um, as I talk about your goodness, Lord, I want to ask you to help us as we hear about your goodness. Lord, life is full of change in all sorts of ways at the moment, but we want to walk through it well, looking to you. So Father, help us from your word today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 10, we remember what God has done. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. They kept the Passover. The Passover was a special meal that reminded the people of Israel how God had rescued them from Egypt, from a place of of slavery, and brought them out to live in a land of freedom. Passover told the story of how a lamb was sacrificed, And because they had put their trust in its blood, they were protected from God's coming judgment. Passover was about remembering what God had done for them. You can see that from uh, Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, verse 24 to 27. This is Moses at, at the first Passover saying to the people, you shall observe this meal as a, as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he's promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Why are we eating this meal? You shall say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. We're remembering what God has done. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Passover was an all-age community event where they spoke about God's great rescue. The people of Israel had all sorts of things to help them remember what God had done for them. Whether a camping at Gilgal, 
they'd set up that pillar of 12 stones. Do you remember that? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. They carried out from, from the River Jordan. And it was for the same reason, wasn't it? Um, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. We can even move on a few hundred years into, into, the, story of, into the story of Israel and turn to their songs. They had songs that helped them remember what God had done. You could pick any of the, pretty much any of the psalms. I've gone for Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, because you can, who forgives your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Looking back and remembering what God had done for them, both in, in their distant and in their recent history, enabled them to face the future and the change that it would bring. How about us? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, tells us that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Our ultimate reminder of how God has rescued us from a place of slavery to sin and brought us out to live in a land of freedom, it's the cross. The gospel is the story of how Jesus died and rose again, and, by, and how by putting your trust in him, you'll be forgiven and made right with God. The gospel brings us together as one family. The church is an all-age community that exists to speak about God's great rescue. Looking back and in fact, no, um, I want to ask you a question, actually, before we get to that. What do you have to help you remember what God has done for you? Figuratively speaking, what are your stone pillars? What can you look back to and say, God did that? Healing, provision, protection, answers to prayer, God's goodness and mercy that have followed you all the days of your life. In life groups this week, take some time, tell some stories. Remind yourself and each other what God has done for you. Because looking back and remembering what God has done for you, what God's done for us in our distant and our recent history will enable us to face the future and the change that it will inevitably bring. The author John Piper um, speaks about how for the Christian, life is lived between two lines in the hymn, Amazing Grace. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. Looking back, seeing God's mercy, seeing God's goodness, seeing God's grace, God's kindness, his provision, his help, his healing, his rescue, his calling, all of that that God has done. It is grace that's brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. 
looking back and seeing what God has done gives us confidence to face the future and whatever changes it might bring. We remember what God has done for us. Now let's move on to verses 11 and 12. The day after the Passover. On that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. That was a big day. For for 40 years, the people of Israel would get up in the morning, six days of the week, and gather enough manna for their family to eat. So this was a big day. This was how life had always been for many of them. It was called manna because the first morning they saw it, no one knew what it was. And manna sounds like the Hebrew words manha, which mean, what is it? So I can imagine the whole camp stepping outside of their tents that morning and just with one voice, manha, what is it? And the name kind of stuck from there. Um, My other favorite thing about manna is recorded in Exodus chapter 16, verse 31. It says this, it said it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made of honey. I guess it's a bit like those caramel, caramel waffle biscuits, and we sell them in the shop, don't we, Don? Yeah, you have them with, you have them with frothy coffee, you know, you know those things? They are, they are great. They are the best biscuit in the world. Fight me. Uh, yeah, they're, they're amazing. God could have made manna taste like Rivita, but he didn't. He made it taste nice. God is kind like that. Manna was a wilderness food for a wilderness people. Now that the people of Israel were beginning to take possession of the promised land, manna had served its purpose. So God stopped providing them with it because he had something better for his people, the produce of the land. The promise was becoming a reality. The people of Israel needed to recognize what God was doing among them so they could benefit from it. And what was God doing? Well, to put it simply, God was keeping his promise and working out his plan. Back in Genesis chapter 12, God promised a guy called Abram that he would bless him and give his offspring the land that he was in. That's why they called it the promised land. It had been promised and God was keeping his promise. In light of this, the people of Israel began to live in the good of God's promises and ate of the fruit of the land that he'd led them to. God's kind like that too. If they'd missed what God was doing, then they would have carried on trying to gather manna when there wasn't any. It can be the same for us as followers of Jesus. God, in his goodness, graciously provides us with wilderness food, but what we're really longing for is the produce of the land, the fulfillment of his promise. God's promise to the Christian is based, once again, on what Jesus does for us. Um, James chapter 2, verse 1 says, Family, that's how the New Testament talks about the church, family, 
Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Being a Christian is about having faith in Jesus, not about Jesus. It's about a relationship, not a ritual. Uh, Goff made this point in a King's Daily at the back end of last week. All the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always holy, always faithful, always kind, always good, always glorious. That's why we can put our faith in him. I'm sat on a stool because I trust the stool. I put my faith in Jesus because I know I can trust him. It's as we recognize what God is doing in keeping his promise and working out his plan that we can handle change with courageous faith. Romans 5 puts it like this. It says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. There's a presentness to the grace of God. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Church family, don't miss out on what God is doing by putting your hope into ritual. It's always been like that. Even when circumstances change, God doesn't. He's always keeping his promises. He's always working out his plan. We remember what God has done. We recognize what God is doing. And we respond to who he is. Verse 13 onwards. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries, adversaries, enemies? And the man said, No, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I've come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. As we've already said, there's there's a shift of focus coming for the people of Israel. And faced with that, Joshua, their leader, heads out to look at what's in front of them. Jericho. Perhaps he's looking down at his plans. Maybe he's got a scale model of troop divisions made out of rocks. Um, He's trying to work out where to put the siege towers. How am I going to get over these city walls? And he lifts up his eyes and he sees this mysterious, mysterious figure standing before him. The commander of the army of the Lord. And we can't say anything out loud here um, in the King Centre, but who is the commander of the army of the Lord? 
is the question that I can hear you all asking from home. Thank you. Um, there are two theories regarding his identity. Um, first, that he's a high-ranking angel, uh, a bit like Gabriel, um, who we meet at Christmas, uh, or Michael, who gets a mention in the book of Daniel. Uh, the second is that this is, deep breath, theological term coming, a theophany. It's God him, himself appearing in human history to reveal his presence and his character. I land, I land on that rather than on angel. Um, the simple reason being, uh, and we'll get to it later, is that Joshua worships him. And, uh, and the Bible's quite clear, isn't it? God is worthy of worship. Um, so that's where I go. Uh, the scholars debate among themselves whether it's, uh, whether it's God, whether it's the pre a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus. Um, it, they can have that debate. Um, it's God turns up in, in the middle of Joshua's time of change. God arrives and Joshua responds to who he is. The first thing we, we see about, about God is that he's got his sword drawn. God is ready for action. God is always ready for action. He doesn't huff and puff like a, like a disgruntled dad when he has to get out of the sofa to do something. <sighs> Off we go again. God is on the front foot. He's looking for ways to glorify himself in your life. If you want to um, take the father analogy and put it on, actually you think of, um, you think of Luke 15, don't you? The, the story of the, the, the prodigal son or the story of the, of the waiting father looking out with compassion. Can he see his son? And as soon as he sees his son, what does he do? He gets up and runs. That's what God's like. God is ready for action. Draw near to him, and he'll draw near to you. God is ready to respond. Joshua asks a sensible question of the armed man. Will you fight with me, or do I have to fight you? Are you for me or for my adversaries? The answer he received was not what he was expecting. No, the NIV translates it as neither. And essentially, he says, you have to follow me. It's not about fighting God, it's about following God. Joshua has to respond to who God is. He is the sovereign one. He hasn't come to take sides. He's come to take charge. Being a Christian isn't about bolting a bit of Jesus to your life. It's about surrendering yourself to him. And following him anywhere, wherever he leads you, whatever it costs you, it's worth it because he is worthy. And finally, we're going to, and it's where we're going to move to um, shortly. We, Joshua responded to who God is in worship. Much like his predecessor Moses Joshua was told that he stood on holy ground. It wasn't his particular location that made it holy. It was the presence of God in the middle of all that was going on. We're going to sing 
But worship is more than a song. It's a life lived by courageous faith, handling whatever change might come our way by remembering what God has done, by recognizing what God is doing, and by responding to who he is. Um, Rich and the band, do you guys want to come back up? I'm going to end with a, with a quote from a guy called David Jackman. Um, I don't think he's any relation to Hugh, um, but, um, but he's, he's written a, a commentary that I find help, found helpful in, in preparing this about, uh, about the book of Joshua. And he says this, he says, the essential preparation for the fall of Jericho is that the earthly leader, that's Joshua, falls flat on his face before God. That is the prerequisite of God's plan to be unveiled, or for God's plan to be unveiled and God's purpose to be activated. And the same is true for the church today and for its individual members. It's when we live in glad submission to God's will, revealed in his word, that he can lift us up and lead us on. We need to be much more concerned about his priorities than about our planning, our arranging of strategies, our ordering of scaling ladders and building of battering rams. They might not even be needed. But what is needed is for us, as God's people, to recognize the commander of the Lord's army, worship him in his holiness and glory, and put ourselves unreservedly at his disposal. That is what changes things. Then we shall not think primarily about our church, our work, our service, and become introverted and problem-orientated. Rather, we will see every, that everything is in the commander's hands, including our little lives. And that the greatest wonder of all is that he des designs to take up and use lump, lumps of unpromising clay like you and me. Father, I thank you that that is your plan for us, Lord, to use us to display your glory, to tell of your grace, to speak of your great rescue. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that as we look back, we, we know the answer to the question, does God love me? We see it there. Lord, we thank, you that the, uh, we thank you that three days later, Jesus, you rose again. You're alive. You are doing stuff in our lives today. And Lord, we want to recognize what you are doing. And Lord, we want to respond to who you are. You're our king. You're, we're following you. You're ready to take action on our behalf for your glory and our good. And Lord, we want to worship you. We want to lay our lives down before you and follow you anywhere. Thank you, Lord.